I'm Daryl Davis. I'm a musician, actor, author, and a lecturer. People always say to me, Daryl, how can you have this stuff? Why don't you burn it? As shameful as it is, you don't burn our history, regardless of the good, the bad, the ugly. And the Ku Klux Klan is as American as baseball, apple pie, and Chevrolet. Welcome to the Father State. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. Thank you so much for being with me. Remember, we are now on Locals.com. So click the link in the description to support our work. Thank you. Also, you can um, um, support the Father State by joining our channel membership on YouTube. Join our channel membership on YouTube. I have with me a guest that I am looking forward to having a discussion with. I have with me uh, Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis. He is a musician, author, activist, and race relations expert. Daryl, thank you so much for coming on, man. I do appreciate it. Thank you, Justin Lee, for having me. It's a pleasure to see you again. Yes, sir. You know, Daryl, I saw you playing uh, jazz. I've always wanted to play piano, and I hope before I leave this earth, and if I leave, that I would have learned to play jazz. I mean, play a piano. How did you get into jazz music? Such nice music. Well, uh, you know, originally I, I'm a rock and roller. And uh, <laughs> when I graduated high school, I decided, you know, I want to major in music. So my idols were Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, Fats Domino, people like that, the original rock and rollers. Right. And so, you know, they don't teach rock and roll in, in school, but rock and roll is a free music, as is jazz. And elements of jazz evolved into rock and roll, the blues, you know, improvisation. So I majored in jazz and had my degree in jazz, where I learned about a lot of other jazz artists. You met, did I read that you met B.B. King and some of those guys? Oh, absolutely. I opened up many shows with B.B. King. So what were they like behind the scenes, their personality? B.B., uh, I'll be honest with you. B.B. King was one of the most generous and nicest people to ever walk the face of this earth. Nice. I think when I, I lived in Indiana for a minute when I was a young kid, uh -huh. and I think that I lived in front of a woman that would date B.B. King, and he used to come to see her. <laughs> he used to go over well, and uh, B.B. A lot of women dated B.B. King. B.B. <laughs> King, here's the thing, okay? B.B. King had a whole lot of kids, like maybe 15 or so or something. Yeah. But you know what? B.B. King took care of every one of his kids. Nice. That's how they used to do it in the good old days. Yeah. When men, boys were boys and men were men. You are a race relations expert. What is that exactly? Well, that's what they call me, but I've been working in racial reconciliation now for, I guess this would be my, my 41st year of doing it, bringing people together who, uh, who may have disagreeing points of view. It's okay to disagree with somebody's point of view, yeah. but not to the point where you want to hurt one another. Yeah. Okay, so I try to bring people together, allow them to be able to, to speak openly about how they feel. You know, we don't have to respect what somebody is saying but let's respect their right to say it. Absolutely. Why do you think we have lost that in this country? And why do people get so upset with one another when they 
just and not all people of course, but most when they disagree, what happened to bring on that change? You know, that's a that's a good question, Jesse Lee. I think, you know, we're going through something now that we didn't really have before so much called cancel culture. And that's being brought on by, you know, a lot of younger people because, you know, we are an instantaneous society. We want things like now. We want them yesterday. Yeah. We don't have time for a whole lot of stuff. So, like, even when you watch the news, a lot of times you don't get the full story. You get a, a little, you know, tidbit, a bite of news. Yeah. You get that little scrolling uh, Krylon under underneath the news. People read on that and then they think they know everything. So if you don't agree with them, they cancel you out. Either you're with me or you're against me. It's an us versus them thing. And that's what I try to to bridge. I mean, it's like this. You hear about people who uh, say, you know, I'm not going to go have Thanksgiving dinner with my family because uh, my sister voted for so-and-so and I voted for this one and we just can't talk. Yeah. My point is, look, it doesn't matter who's going to become president. That person is only going to be in office for a minimum of four years, a maximum of eight years, and then they're done. All right. So how long have you been with your family? For decades. You're going to throw away decades of a relationship over somebody who's only going to be around four or eight years. It doesn't make sense. Talk it out. You don't have to agree with them. They don't have to agree with you. But let them know your point of view and listen to their point of view and have your dinner together, your family. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've noticed that, and I know it's due to anger, but most people are too emotional to sit down now and disagree and just have a disagreement conversation, but not let it be personal, not exactly. let it divide you from one another. It just, And I never thought that just one man or woman opinion over another, but I never thought that that could happen in America. When I was growing up, people were freely speaking up. They were agreeing and disagreeing. Even when I first started uh, doing what I do in my organization, I was on different TV and radio shows and disagreeing with people. And it wasn't as, sometimes the people got mad, but it wasn't as personal to them as it is today. It's just, it seemed to have gotten worse over the years. Well, I think, you know, while, and, and hear me out for a second, there are a lot, a lot of younger people are a lot smarter today than younger people were back in our day because they have more access to many more things. We got the internet. Right. You know, if you and I want to go do a, a report on Benjamin Franklin, if we did not have encyclopedias in our house, we had to physically leave our house, go to the library, find the book, sit there and read it and copy notes out of there, et cetera. Now, all you got to do is just go to Google, look up Ben Franklin, and everything is right there at your fingertips. You don't even leave the house, okay? You and I, we remember those slide rules yeah. in math class. We went to the moon. We went all the way to the moon on a slide rule. Young kids today never even heard of slide rules. <laughs> you know, they got these little calculators that do monstrous things. Yeah. You know, this, is, this is a computer, right? The cell phone. When you and I were kids, computers took up the whole room. So kids are smarter today than they were back when we were kids because they have more access. Not because they were born smarter, they have more access. Yes. However, their while while their while their their intelligence may have grown, their emotional ability is still at child level. It, it still grows chronologically. So they are not able to process emotions as quickly 
as their intelligence has grown. So you, you hit it on the head when you said they get so emotional about things. Yeah. That's mostly younger people getting emotional about these things and canceling this person and that person. So they are intellectually smarter than we were because of assets, exactly. but they have no common sense for the most part. And we tend, because we had to do everything ourselves, we had to go to the library, we had to figure things out. I remember who we had to remember phone numbers because... Right. <laughs> And exactly. I used to remember phone numbers, man, but now I don't even remember phone numbers. I have to look. And we, all, we all know the story of when you go to the grocery store uh, and, the, and the cashier's uh, register can't, you know, stops working. She doesn't know how to count the change to give you back. Yeah. Because she relies on that to tell you how much to give you back. That's amazing. I want to come back to common sense. Though I like technology is good for some things, but common sense is better. Um, are you a Christian? I am a Christian. And what does it mean to be a Christian? Why is that important? Well, you know, I, it's not so much for me uh, important to be a Christian. Well, I mean, to answer your, your first question, what does it mean to be a Christian? I guess the most common definition would be someone who believes in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, because the term Christian comes from the word Christ. Right. So there, there are many different kinds of Christians. Um, you know, there you know, Catholic people are Christian, Protestants are Christian, Baptists, Lutherans, Pre- Presbyterians, Methodists, etc. There are many different denominations of Christianity that, which may not agree with one another biblically. All right, but for me, uh, I'm a strong. I have a, I have a strong faith in God. I'm definitely a believer, and but I do not fault other religions that you know that believe in God, even though they may not follow Christianity. They may follow Judaism. They may, they may follow Islam. They may follow this, that, or the other. Um, but I believe that there are many different pathways and avenues to go to God, and we should respect them all. When do you love all people? I love all people. I may not love all people's ideas. What do you think about a Christian that says they don't love all people? They love like They don't love the white people, but they love everybody else. Is that a Christian or is that a hypocrite? That's not what we're taught in Christianity. We're taught that that we're all God's children. Love thy neighbor. Yeah. Right? So whether you love all white people and don't love other people or whether you love all black people or anybody else and, and, and exclude others, no, that's that's not the foundation of Christianity. I, and I think that's you know where you need to back up and do some introspection <laughs> because you're not following the tenets. Of yeah. Christianity. Why do you think that as a Christian, and I want I got so much I want to talk to you about, but why do you think as a Christian there are people who believe that they love God but they don't love all people? Why do they think that it's possible to be that way as a child, son or daughter of God? Because they have been brainwashed into believing that certain people are, are not the children of God, but they are the children of Satan. And, you know, I, I've dealt a lot with members of the Ku Klux Klan, for example, and they and they believe that um, that God's children are white children, <laughs> you know, and and we people, black people are, are sub children. So, you know, and you know, people make up make up this stuff. Yeah. First of all, race, race is a man made construct. There's no such thing as the black race, the white race. You know, we say that, but really there's no such thing. There's one race, it is the human race. Within that human race, there are different colors. 
Right. I want to ask you about uh, your visit, your relationship with the Klansmen that you started a long time ago. So you're sitting around, and one day you decided, let me go play with the Klansmen. How did that happen? How did that come about way when you first started this? Well, um, we, we have to go way back to my childhood. <laughs> uh, I, I grew up as the son of parents in the United States Foreign Service, State Department. So I grew up as an American embassy kid traveling all over the world, yeah. starting at the age of three. And how it works is you get assigned to a country for two years. You're there. You come back home here to the States. You're here for a little while. You get assigned to another country for two years. So every two years, I was in different countries, starting at the age of three. My first exposure to school was overseas. I lived in Africa for 10 years. I lived in Europe. All right. Um, my first exposure to school was overseas. I did kindergarten, first grade, third grade, fifth grade, seventh grade. And in between, I was here. Um, my classes in these foreign countries, my classmates were from Nigeria, Japan, Russia, Czechoslovakia, France, Germany, Italy. Anybody who had an embassy in those countries, all of their children went to the same school. Oh, yeah. So uh, I had what, what today we call a multicultural environment. The term multicultural didn't even exist back then. To me, it was just the norm. Everybody was different. Maybe we didn't, we didn't look alike. We didn't speak the same language. Maybe we didn't worship alike. But we all got along. All right. I never experienced racism until I would come home back here to my own country. And I, I couldn't understand it. How can I go around the world and be treated as an equal and then be treated as a second class citizen back in, you know, back in my own country? That was baffling to me. So skipping ahead, um, I, well, I formed a question in my mind after some people threw rocks and bottles at me because I was the only black Cub Scout in an, in an all-white Cub Scout parade. I didn't understand it because I'd never experienced that before. So my question that I formed at the age of 10 was, how can you hate me when you don't even know me? Yeah. And I've been looking for the answer to that question. I'm still looking today, which is why I still deal with KKK and neo-Nazis and anybody else. But um, and race, you know, nobody has a monopoly on racism. You know, there are races anywhere and everywhere. So one day I graduated from uh, from school with my degree, as you put it, in jazz. And uh, I was playing country music and I was in a country band because country music was very popular. And I was the only black person in the band, the only black person in many of the bars where we would play. And we played a place in a town called Frederick, Maryland which is about an hour and 20 minutes outside of Washington, D.C. The, t the uh, bar was called the Silver Dollar Lounge. And the Silver Dollar Lounge had a reputation of being an all-white or whites-only type bar. There were no signs that said no, no blacks or no colored, whatever. Nothing like that. But you knew if you were black, you were not welcome there. So, you know, when you go somewhere where you're not welcome and alcohol is being served, it's not a good combination. <laughs> That's right. right. That's right. So... Uh, the band had played there before, and I had just joined the band, so it's my first time there. And um, we got done playing the first set. We're taking a break. I'm following the band over to the band table. And I feel somebody from behind come up and put their arm around my shoulder. Now, I don't know anybody in here, right? I see the whole band in front of me walking this way. So I'm turning around trying to see who's touching me. It was this uh, white gentleman. I would say 15, 18 years older than me. Big smile. And he says, hey, you know, I really enjoy your all's music. 
I said, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. I shook his hand. And he, and he points at the stage and he says, I've seen this here band before, but I ain't never seen you. Where'd you come from? And I explained, I just joined the band a couple months ago. It's my first time here. He says, man, I sure love your piano playing. This is the first time I ever heard a black man play piano like Jerry Lee Lewis. Well, I was not offended, but I was rather surprised that this guy being at least a decade and a half older than me, he did not know the black origin of Jerry Lee Lewis's piano style. And I began to tell him, hey, Jerry Lee got it from the same place I did, from black blues and boogie-woogie piano players. That's where that rockabilly, rock and roll style came from. Right. Oh, no, 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 no. I ain't never seen no black man play like that except for you. So I'm, I'm thinking, well, look, man, you never saw Little Richard or Fast Domino? It's the same style. I said, Jerry Lee Lewis is a very good friend of mine. We've done many shows together. He's told me himself he used to go see these black people across the tracks at a place called Haney's Big House, which was a black bar where they bring in these blues and boogie-woogie players, and that's what influenced him. Well, he didn't believe I knew Jerry Lee Lewis either, but he was fascinated with me because he'd never seen this before. Yeah. I'm a black person. Yeah. So he invited me back to his table and he bought me, uh, I asked for a cranberry juice. He bought me the cranberry juice and then he cheers me, clinks my glass. He says, you know, this is the first time I ever sat down and had a drink with a black man. And now I'm baffled. Like, how can that be? <laughs> I've sat down with anybody and everybody from all over the world, you know, and he's never sat down with a black man before. So I said, why? Long story short, he tells me he's a member of the KKK. Whoa. So that's where that started, yeah. Nice. And so I, I want, and we're going to tell the people before we leave today how to get and see your videos because they really are amazing. Doing your, at the meetings of the KKK when they were burning the crosses and all that. Let me just ask, because of time here, when you were at the Klansmen's meetings where they would burn the cross and they would have on the outfit the yes. things, were you Absolutely. nervous at all that maybe, though you were friends with at least one, a couple of them, were you nervous that you would be attacked by the others out in the woods like that? No, and I'll tell you why. Because there are two kinds of Klan rallies. There's a public rally, and then there, there are private rallies. Okay, a public rally, they have to go to City Hall, get a permit to, to be in the park and light their cross or, you know, have, have a permit, Right. So if it's a public park, anybody can go. You can go, I can go, anybody can right. go. Now, if there's going to be trouble, there's a barrier of police between the protesters and the Klan, right? If there's no trouble, you just walk up there and, you know, voice your opinion, say hello, whatever you want to do. If it's a private rally, it's held on some member's property, and you must be invited by the Klan to attend those. Oh, okay. So I've, I've been to both. I've been to the ones that are public. I've been to the ones that I've been invited to. And the chain of command, the Grand Dragon, the Imperial Wizard, okay, if they invite you, regardless of what any other member thinks about you or says, they cannot do anything to you. It's a chain of command. They That's must a, obey their leader. Amazing. And so over the years, have you had good success with um, influencing them to overcome hate and realize we're all the same? I've had, I've, had, I've had a good deal of success. Yes, not everybody's going to change. Right. But you know what, though? I never set out to change anybody. It wasn't my mission to go to the Klan and say, hey, you're wrong. You need to give me your robe and hood and, and leave this ideology behind. I went to them to try to understand how they arrived at this ideology. Right. Because I, I knew it was not a, 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 an, uh, a natural behavior. They, didn't, they were not born with it. It was a learned behavior. 
So where do they learn it from? So what can be learned can be unlearned. And just in conversations with these people, not overnight, but over time, they began seeing the humanity in me as opposed to seeing me as a child of Satan or whatever they considered me. Yeah. And they began rethinking. So I was the impetus for them to convert themselves. A lot of the media says, oh, you know, black musician converts X number of KKK white supremacists. No, I didn't convert anybody. I didn't even convert one. I am the impetus for more than 200 to convert themselves. Right. But not everybody's going to change. That's Some right. will go to their grave being hateful and violent. What's important to you? What's important to me is that our country, our society, can only become one of two things. One, it can become that which we sit back and watch it become, or two, it can become that which we stand up and make it become. So we have to ask ourselves the question, do I want to sit back and see what my country becomes, or do I want to stand up and make it become what I want to see? I've chosen the second option. Right on. Do you believe that racism exists? I believe that racism exists, and I believe that anybody can be racist. So now, but let me give you the definition of, of racism as I, as I accept it. You right. know, different people may have different definitions. So why do I believe it exists? Um, as I said, there's only one race. It's the human race. But when, when people talk in general about race, they say the black race, the white race, et cetera. If anybody feels that the color of their skin gives them superiority over somebody else of a different color, just because that person has a different color or they have this color or that color, then yes, that is racism. Because to me, skin color is no different than the color of a car. Okay. Our, our, yeah. our skin, you know, your body is just a vehicle in which you travel around on earth with. And when you die, that body is put in the ground, it disintegrates into ashes, but your spirit stays alive. Your spirit goes on to heaven or wherever it goes. Yeah. Okay. And and it's just that's the color that you got. Just like you know, you might go out and buy a blue Ford or a red Chevrolet. That's just the color of a vehicle. That's right. What what matters is on what's under the hood. That's right. You know, um, God said that our battle is a spiritual battle. It's a warfare between good and evil that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with uh, spirits and principalities and wickedness. And so what I don't understand is as those who have overcome anger and those who are now children of God, they know that the battle is spiritual and it's not about racism or anything like that, but it's right or wrong. There are those who are on the side of evil and there are those who have overcome evil and on the side of good. Why don't those who are on the side of good call it a spiritual battle, right or wrong, rather than saying racism? Because when people say racism, they don't see that they're controlled by evil. But if we call evil for what it is, some people are going to see it and overcome it. Why do we allow the world to cover it up by using the word racism? Because all who are of God are of good. Their hearts have been changed from anger to love. And now they treat each other the way they should treat each other, not based on color, male or female, but what is right. Why not call it evil rather than racism? I agree with you 100 uh, percent. Because, you know, can can white people be evil? Yes. Yeah. Can black people be evil? Yes. Is racism evil? Yes. 
Okay, so anybody can be racist. Everybody can be evil, Yeah. right? But the problem is this. Where do we get... Now, we're talking about the United States here because different countries have different little things going on. Like, for example... Let's let's take uh, let's take Ireland for example. Over there, there there was a big problem between Catholics and Protestants, even though they're the same color. It's not a racial issue, right? It's a religious issue. That's right. Even though they still believe in God, over here in this country, it doesn't matter if you're Catholic and I'm Protestant. We don't even ask each other. We could care less. But over there, it's a it's a it's a violent confrontation between Catholics and Protestants. We don't understand it. Like they may not understand. The, the conflict between black and white, because they don't have that problem over there. In uh, in in uh, Lebanon, it's it's the uh, Christians and the Muslims. In in Israel, it's the Jews and the Palestinians. Yeah. So we have our own unique problem. So over here, we are driven by money, money, and like the the root of all evil, so they say. Right? Where do we get most of our education? Three places. We get it from our parents because we live with our parents until we're 18 years old, sometimes even older, right? So we're heavily influenced by the people who raise us. We also get our education from our schools, academic, right? We, we're in school seven, eight hours a day, all, right. all the way from kindergarten through 12th grade. And we get it from our religious institutions. We go to church, right? As little kids, four and five years old, we're in Sunday school downstairs in the basement of the church. And our Sunday school teacher tells us, God God made a rainbow of beautiful different colors. You know, we are God's rainbow. He loves us all, right? And so we believe that because our Sunday school teacher told us that. So it must be true. So then, so we accept anybody and everybody at age four and five. But then what happens when we become adolescents? We get kicked out of Sunday school. We get kicked upstairs to the bigger congregation. Right. So now we're sitting with our parents and the adults. Guess what? The preacher the reverend, the minister, the priest, the rabbi, whoever, they don't teach that Sunday school lesson anymore. You know, be, you know, they don't say we're all God's children. What would happen if they were to say, hey, it's okay if you go out and marry somebody of a different color? You know what? Half the congregation would get up and walk out <laughs> yeah. or they'd get, that, they'd get that clergy fired. But one thing's for sure is this. When that collection plate goes around, they're not putting any money in there. Because you only pay for what you want to hear. Yeah. If somebody tells you something you don't want to hear, you're not going to put your money in there. Even as Christians, we're supposed to give, what, 10% of our earnings to our church, right? So somebody says something you don't want to hear, you're not going to put it in there. So that's why the, the, the adult people, they don't hear that message. Because the church, at that point, is putting money above morality, it should be the other way around. Yeah. Put morality above money. Absolutely. So so down down in Sunday school, they're not worried about the money because four and five year olds don't have any money. <laughs> the money's upstairs. So you gotta so you gotta talk to those people and tell them what they want to hear. That's the problem. I wanted to ask if you know, earlier you mentioned in this country there are Catholic, Baptist, Protestants, um all different kinds of religion. Right. Why did why is it that to be a son or daughter of God, to be of God, there need to be a Baptist or or Catholic or or whatever. Why not just be sons of God? That way you don't have to fight over who religious is best, which one is right, which one is wrong. Because I noticed that whenever you put a title onto something, it becomes like ownership. 
and now you fight to own it. You fight to prove that yours is better. And why not just be sons of God rather than put in titles? That's exactly what I said at the beginning of, of this program. Remember, I said, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm defined as a Christian. I right. accept Christ. But I said, I don't have a problem with other religions when they believe in the same God I do. There are many different avenues to God. Yeah. So why not just say, hey, we're all children of God. It doesn't matter. You know, if, if you believe in the same God I believe in, you can call him God. You can call him Jehovah. You can call him Jesus Christ. You can call him Allah. You can call him Yahweh. If it's the same person, we're all sons of God. Right. I noticed that in human beings, I didn't notice this before until my heart changed and I was able to see. But I noticed that in all aspects of life concerning human beings, when we put a title on something, it feels like we own it. We got to fight. If one is up, a husband and wife, the moment the woman say, this is my husband or the husband say, this is my wife, it feels like ownership that you got to control it. It got to go the way you want it to go in that relationship. If it doesn't, a battle is on. But if you didn't put a title to it, 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 the relationship will last until death do your part because there's nothing to fight for. You're not trying to make it be your way. You're not disagreeing. And yet you will have disagreements, but it won't be the end of the relationship. How can people overcome that? Well, I I think... think in, in that particular example, just my opinion. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm an only child, but perhaps you have siblings. I have a bunch and, of them. Okay, so you have a bunch of them. So, so if I come to, to you know to visit you, and I know you, but I don't know these other people that are that are around you, you're gonna tell me, Daryl, this is my brother, this is my sister Louise, this is my brother John, or whatever. You're saying my brother, right. my sister. So. Do you own them? You don't own them as a slave, nothing like that. You don't, you don't own them as property, but you own them as part of your family. Right. So now I know who they are. When you say, this is my wife, um, that doesn't mean that you control her and that you own her. So, some men may think that way, yes. Um, there are plenty of them. Who and do. women think okay, that way well, about the husband, too. Well, yeah, yeah. But but I think, though, when somebody introduces somebody and says, you know, this is my wife or this is my husband, it... it it, it it also it, it doesn't mean that they own them, but it also signals that this is not a free man or a free woman. So don't get any ideas about this becoming your wife when it's my <laughs> wife. You know. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that I do a lot of counseling with married couples and non-married couples, singles and stuff. But I noticed what I've noticed over the years in these married couples, or even when they're living together, not married. The 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 wife trying to make the husband be the way she wants him to be and act the way she wants him to act. And the husband trying to make the wife be and act the way he want her to act. You got to they want they want love and they want it in a certain way and they want all that crap. And I'm like, why don't y'all just be an individual working together as one? And let this person work out their issues, you work out your issues, and that way it'll be no conflict because you're dealing with what's wrong with you and overcoming and let the other person do the same thing. But it seems to be hard for people to live that way. They well, it just won't do it for some reason. I th- I think uh, yeah, I think, you know, people people come into come into marriages with um with different expectations. You know, well, 
you know, when we get married, he's going to change. You know, I'll, I'll yeah. change. He'll, he'll be okay. No, what you see is what you get. So, you know, when you're dating that person, it's going to be that exacerbated when you get married. Yeah. You know, they're not going to change just because you put a ring on their finger and you say, I do, and the, and the preacher pronounces you husband and wife. You are seeing a preview of what you're going to get when you're married. Good point. So if you don't get along as boyfriend and girlfriend, you better reconsider you know, if this person is the right person for you or if you are the right person for that person. And then, of course, you know, if you are the right people and you get married and somewhere down the road, you know, people change. People grow in different directions or whatever. You know, you might have some issues. I might have some issues. You know, yes, I try to work on my issues. You try to work out your issues. If I can help you with yours, great. I'm here to support you. Because when I married you, I took a vow to stand by you in sickness and in health. You know, when you're not feeling well, I'm there to support you. You took the same vow to support me. If I have issues that I'm not doing so well with and you can help me through my struggle, then yes, help me. Okay. But don't come into the marriage with those issues that you don't like and thinking they're going to change just because you're married. That's a good point. I talked to a lot of women who are married and their husband together and the woman say, so I asked the woman, what is wrong? Because the man is providing, he's doing everything he should do as far as physically, right? And so I asked the woman, well, what is wrong with him? And nine times out of 10, she says, well, he doesn't care about my feelings. He doesn't, he doesn't, uh, uh, Listen to me. He doesn't care about how I feel. And I'm, I'm like, he's not supposed to care about how you feel. You're supposed to overcome feelings because feelings are of the imagination and they come and go. They're never real. And you can never satisfy that. Would you advise men to help the woman overcome those feelings or cater to them? I would advise each one of them to understand One of the differences between men and women is this. Um, We all have emotion and we all have logic. Men tend to be, uh, I'm not saying women are not logical. Yes, they can be logical, but they can also be a little scattered too. I've met plenty of women. That was logical. More women than you can count. That was logical. (laughs) Huh? Have you ever met a woman that's logical? Yeah, yeah, I, I met I met a good number of them. Okay, but but I've also met tons who were emotional too. I mean, off the chain, man. Yeah. But okay, but here's the thing. Um, that's one of that's one of the beauties, between you know, be, between individuals, between women and men. You know, we 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 do have a lot of the same characteristics. But we also have things that are indigenous to our particular gender. All right. So as men, we have to understand that when we're dealing with women, we may be dealing with somebody who is more emotional than we are because men tend to suppress their emotions. You know, you go to a sad movie with, with, with a woman date, she might cry in the movie theater, start to start crying because of what happened on the screen. Yeah. It's not even real, right? <laughs> it's a movie. They're acting, right? But she's crying because she's feeling whatever it is the scriptwriter wrote in the movie. Right. Okay. You're sad for the person, but you're not crying because you're able to suppress your emotions and you're logically thinking, hey, this is what somebody created in their mind and they wrote out a script and these people are playing a role. Yeah. So you're not going to let your emotions you know, come out like, like hers. All right. So they have to understand that we're a little more logical. They are a little more emotional. 
The beauty is the balance between the two. So don't take that away from them because you don't want them to take that away from you. So we have to balance it. You know, you know about something called women's intuition. Yeah, I've heard of that. It's pretty powerful, and it's also pretty accurate. They can they can perceive things that we can't perceive, especially if it's evil. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> That's right. You know, and they're usually right about that. Yeah, about you know? And you know why that is? Tell me. Because the God above is the man's God, and the God below is the woman's God, and so that God is evil. And until the woman overcome that guy, he operates through her and they can pick up evil things easier than the man, uh, the man, because they're not as rooted in evil. But they can also pick up good things through their intuition as well. Really? Yeah, absolutely. You know, they they sense things like, you know, if, if their child is in danger, their child could be in another city and they just feel something like, I need to call my son. Said something that doesn't feel right. And they call him and he said, Mom, I just fell down the stairs and I, I broke my ankle. Yeah. Things like that. That's women's intuition. Amazing. You know? They 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 can pick up on stuff. And and that's because they have those emotions. You know, like you say, it's a feeling. It's not something that you can touch and hang on to. Right. All right. So it's it's good to have logic and it's good to have emotion. Amazing. Let me ask, oh, one more quick thing about that. I noticed that women try to make men be emotional. Oh, you need to be emotional. You're not emotional. We try to make them be logical. We try to make them be logical, don't we? Is that right, though, for them to try to make men be emotional? Because it's it's not the normal state of being for men. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't think it's right for anybody to try to make somebody be what they're not. But I think, but I think it's important that we try to understand why they're emotional or why we are logical. Right. Absolutely. So you met with the Klansmen, you went to their rallies, and then you met with members of Black Lives Matter, which is worse than the KKK, in my opinion. And it seemed like that meeting with them was worse than the meetings that you had with the Klansmen. Did you get the same impression? Uh, yes. And wh- and, why and, was uh, it harder? You're referring, you're referring to a scene in a documentary about me. Yes. yes. Yeah. But now let's understand something. Uh, Black Lives Matter is not an organization per se. There's no headquarters. And then there are all these chapters of Black Lives Matter all over the country that, that they follow the policy that is created at the headquarters. All right. Black Lives Matter is a movement. And so there are no chapters. There are factions. And each little faction has their own little leader who does not answer to any president at the headquarters. Yeah. Like, say... The Red Cross is an organization. The Boy Scouts of America is an organization. So wherever the headquarters is, there's a president there. There's a board, and they create policy, and they disseminate that policy to all the chapters in the country. So the Red Cross in Brooklyn, New York, operates the exact same way as the Red Cross in San Jose, California. Right. With Black Lives Matter, there is not that. Okay? It's not centralized. So each one is operating on its own autonomously. So as a result, you have some factions of Black Lives Matter that want to go around town and tear down statues and spray paint BLM all over the place and just and, and fight and carry on. And then you have some factions that want to sit down with the city or county legislature and say, hey, you know, we need to address this problem. Can, can, you, know, can you write up a bill to, 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 to pass a law to do this and do that? 
That's the way you do things. You sit down, you, you make proposals, you get the council people on your side, they write up the legislation, yeah. and you create a law. So there are factions that do that as well. So the faction that you saw in Baltimore, Maryland, was, was one of the more you know, aggressive uh, renegade type uh, type of, uh, of faction. Yeah. But, but that's not all Black Lives Matter, because I've had at least six different factions of Black Lives Matter contact me and say, hey, you know, we've been watching you. We appreciate what you're doing. Do you give workshops? Can you come teach us how to do what you do? And then there are other factions that attack me and try to rip me a new one, you know? Yeah. With that particular group that you met on the documentary and you were having a conversation, were you able to get through before the conversation in or during the conversation? Were you able to get through to them at all? That well, particular yes and group? no. Yes and no. Okay. Uh, what you saw in the documentary which is called Accidental Courtesy, uh, you saw eight minutes right. of, of that contention. I felt that it was very important to show that because people think that black people are monolithic, that we all believe the same thing, we all get along, we all you know, believe in, 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 in the exact same thing. That's not true. Just like white people and anybody else, everybody has differences of, of opinions. I have my supporters, I have my detractors. Those were my detractors, okay? Now, um, that that scene, that scenario, it went on for almost an hour, and it, be, it it almost became physically violent. Wow. Okay, it almost became physically violent. But, you know, we couldn't show a whole hour, right. so I wanted to keep that in there to show, hey, racism, nobody has a monopoly on it. It's everywhere with every different color, all right? About a year later, after after the movie came out, those same people reached out to me and said, hey, we've been seeing you. We don't agree with everything, you know, you say, but we, we understand some of the things that you're doing. We want to get together and talk. I said, okay. So I went to Baltimore. I had dinner with them. We sat down. We talked. We agreed on, on different things, and we agreed to work together. And we started working together, and then one of the, one of the three people, the older gentleman, uh, he, he, he reverted. He fell off the wagon and reverted back to the way he was in the movie. Yeah. So he, he, he couldn't get his head around, That's you know. amazing. And so what's wrong with the blacks? Well, the blacks, which blacks in particular? Those blacks? <laughs> the blacks that, um, those that are now leading in our government, you know, they're congressmen and women and they're police chiefs and mayors and city council. And then you have the ones out on the streets robbing and raping and killing and carjacking. And what is causing that in them? The, the same the same thing that is causing what you're just describing in white people but, or in Hispanic people. But the blacks um, seem to be leading the way, especially fewer in numbers in this country, but they seem to be, they are leading the way to destruction. Why is why don't they get a hold of themselves and say, well, what I'm doing is wrong. I, I Maybe I can't help it. Or maybe I don't understand. But what is wrong with them that as individuals, they won't pull aside and question the action. I will always question my actions so I can understand, right? Why don't they do that? Uh, for one thing, I, I think a reason why anybody doesn't do that is lack of education, lack of discipline, all right? So, you know, I think, I think as a society, we, when I say we, I mean Americans, black, white, native, whatever, all right? We, we spend too much time saying, well, I'm not my brother's keeper. Yes, we need to be our brother's keeper. You mentioned Jesus Christ earlier in this conversation. Did Jesus Christ not hang out with the lepers, the prostitutes, 
the, the beggars and right. whatever else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what we need to do. Okay. We need to show the light. So you're saying that those blacks need a hug? Yeah. Everybody needs a hug. <laughs> and so it wasn't light. I need a hug, man. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't like this growing up, though, when I was growing up. I grew up in Alabama on a plantation. My parents, their parents, everybody worked it. But blacks were more individuals, family-oriented. The parents taught us how to work and be responsible, Made us, uh, taught us to be ready to leave home at 18, go out in the world and deal with it. And we were not blaming the whites or crime racism or any of those things. And that seemed to be the theme of the day. And for 32 years, I've been trying to get the blacks, and not all, not all, not all, not all, but most, to look, pull away from the crowd, know thyself, so you can have a life. You don't have to go along with all that. But they're refusing to do it. Many are. Well, you know, it's a shame um, that, now, when you say the blacks, you're, you're talking in particular about American blacks, because I can tell you, blacks who come over here from Africa, they're a different story. Yes. Yeah. They, and, and, and what is the difference? One of the differences is between American blacks and African blacks. All right. African blacks have intact families. Families take care of each other. You know, and they come over here and work and send money back home and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, m- many, many black uh, kids today, uh, and even for the past decades, were raised by their grandmothers, raised in single Single family, you know, by by their mother. The father was gone somewhere. You know, Um, we we don't have as many nuclear black families, black American families, as white people do, all right, or or black Africans do. Uh, And part of that comes from slavery. We were bought and sold on the courthouse steps. Families were separated. So we don't have that nuclear history of being together. Like, you and I come come from West Africa somewhere. You know, no, we know I came that we, from we, Alabama. Well, you 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 came from Alabama, but but your ancestors <laughs> came from West Africa. Okay, I lived in West Africa, man. I've been to Gore Island. I lived two hours from Gore Island, where the slaves came. All right, what's my last name? My last name is Davis. All right, Davis is a Welsh name. It comes from Wales in the UK. I can't go to West Africa and find somebody named Davis, you know, because that was not my ancestors' names. So you see, even my name was changed. But if your name was McDonald, you can go to Ireland or Scotland and find some McDonald's who your third cousin removed or whatever, right? So our families were ripped apart. So we don't have that sense of cohesiveness that we should have. And and, and I think, you know, once you explain that and you be, people begin to understand that, then you work towards bringing that back. But well, if it was because of, if it was because of slavery, why didn't my parents and their parents why were they so close as families and, and the people I were around, they had families and they taught us hey, to work and my they, my parents and I was my under parents, Jim Crow law, right? I grew up under that. Yeah. Why did why did slavery affect that generation? Why did it skip over that generation into this generation? Well, you know, that's the same thing as why why, why do I have diabetes and one of my parents didn't have it? You know, skipped a generation, you know, things like that happened. Um, my my be- family was intact. My family was intact. 
Um, my mom and dad stayed together till death do you part. You know, yeah. um, I never had to want for anything. I, I, I had a good family. I had a good upbringing. I've been all over the world. Uh, as a child, I told you I traveled every two years, different countries. Now, as an adult musician, I tour and, and perform around the world. I have been in 62 countries on six continents. I have played in all 50 states. So I've seen a lot of different cultures, ideologies, religions, colors, ethnicities, you know, and all of that has helped shape who I've become. And I can tell you this, uh, Jesse Lee, no matter how far I go from our own country, the United States or Alabama, if you want, whether I go right next door to Canada or to Mexico or halfway around the globe, no matter how different people may be who I meet, I can guarantee you everybody regardless of what color they are, religion or anything, even if they're atheists, everybody wants these five core values in their lives. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be respected. Everybody wants to be heard. Everybody wants to be treated fairly. And everybody wants the same thing for their family as we want for our family. And if we can learn to apply those five core values or any of those values when we find ourselves in an adversarial situation or in a society or culture in which we are unfamiliar um, or uncomfortable, I guarantee the navigation will be, will be much more smooth and much more positive. One last question about that, because I'm looking at the clock here. Um, had the blacks not allowed the so-called civil rights movement to sell them over to the government for a dollar bill and allow them to become leaders of the blacks, but kept the family intact as they were for the most part prior to the civil rights movement, which was the worst thing that ever happened to the black. Had the black not sold themselves over to the civil rights movement, do you think they would still be in the condition that they are in today? Or would the family be tired? Would they be treating everybody the way they would like to be treated? You know, that's interesting that you would say that because, uh, I know somebody who, well, I know a few people, actually, who would agree with you. Um, I know people who would not agree with you. And and where where I would stand with that, I, I wouldn't say that I would agree with you on that. But, like, I know where you're coming from. Because you're coming from Alabama. And, and a guy in particular, uh, I won't name him, but he was a pretty famous guy. He was from Mississippi, from Laurel, Mississippi where the Klan were, were, were the ones who murdered those three civil rights workers, right. you know, Schwerner, Goodman, and Cheney, okay? And he knew the, he knew the Klansmen who, who ordered that, uh, that murder. Anyway, um, I had the same conversation with him. He told me they never should have come down here and, and, and stirred up all that stuff trying to get black people to vote and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And he's black himself. Yeah. And I said, how can you say that? Why? why? And he says, look, they can come down here and start all this trouble, and then they can go home, and we got to live with it, right? But my question is to him was, well, did you like riding in the back of the bus, drinking from a separate water fountain, not being able to eat in this restaurant and stay in that hotel? He said, that would have changed in time. Absolutely. But I say, well, how much time? It doesn't matter. It wouldn't It does change. matter because people should be treated equally. Well, listen, when those things were happening, I can honestly tell you that wasn't much thought about it because blacks were not comparing themselves to the whites and all that kind of stuff. So they weren't into, well, I'm black. Why can't I drink that? I'm sure you find some people who did it, but 
most part, they wouldn't think about those things. When I was drinking at an all-black fountain, I never thought about, oh, poor me. I got I to gotta drink at a colored people fountain. Or when I went to a movie theater once down in Ufala, Alabama, and we had to sit in the balcony, and I was in my teens then. I never thought about, oh, poor me, I had to sit in the balcony. It, it felt better because I could see the film better. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were fortunate to sit there. And, okay, and so, so it wasn't. And, and when that civil rights movement thing started, the older blacks were like, don't be a part of that mess. All they're doing is stirring up trouble for themselves. They knew not to be a part of it because they knew it was a, a socialist mess. And it was just dividing the races why, because they would have come be, together naturally. But why should there be trouble if if you or I want to go drink from a nice water fountain? Why, but why but the, black water fountain, the black water fountain was as nice as the white one, and the water changes the same. It was no different. But why couldn't we use the same water fountain is my question. Because that was the standard at that time. But there were whites but and you, blacks. Did you believe was, it, it was an acceptable standard that we, we should have accepted it? It was neither accepted or rejected. It's just the way it was, right? Because back then, black people and white people knew that it wasn't about the color. It was about the character. It was about the, the ones that had hate and the ones that didn't. And those that didn't have hatred for one another, whatever color, they got along. And those that did hatred have the hatred. Not only are they not going along with different people of color, they didn't even go along with their own family members or anyone else because evil divides and love unites. So it wasn't, it, it wasn't until the so-called civil rights movement started that all the mess started. And now we know that it was a socialist communist movement. It never was meant to unite the people. It was always meant to divide for personal gain, wealth, position in politics and they, that's why they set themselves up over the blacks, and the blacks stopped thinking for themselves. Well, what was the movement to keep blacks in the back of the bus or, or, or drink at separate water fountains or use separate restrooms? Wasn't that also divisive? It was divisive, but it was the way it was, and it wasn't personal. No, it and, wasn't and, the way it was. And, it was the way it was created. But still, the people understood it because they had common sense back then, and they knew that it was, it was changing, and it was changing. But the civil rights movement wanted to control the people. If you notice, not only did they divide the people, blacks and whites are more divided today than any other time before that. And then they set themselves up as leaders of the blacks. And the blacks turned, not all, but most turned themselves over to them. And they start, stopped thinking for themselves and doing for themselves because it's abnormal to have a physical leader over you. So they when, gave when you, up God as their leader for the man or the woman to be their leader. When you were a young man, a teenager or young adult down in Alabama and, and, uh, and a, white, a white man or white woman uh, was talking to you, you know, asking you questions or whatever, you know, did you look her or him in the face? I did. Or did you look down? I looked right at him. Okay, because you know a lot of black people, even today— Older black people, not young ones. Older ones will not look a white person in the face. And you know why that is? Tell me. They are afraid of their mothers and grandmothers. Their mothers and grandmothers imposed their wills on them when they were little kids, and they forbid them to speak up. They forbid them to disagree. 
And as a result, they resented their mothers for doing that to them. And they, and every time they run into other people now, they don't have the courage because they're dealing with evil spirits in the same people. Are, and they don't have the courage to look you in the eyes. But if you, you saying, wasn't divided you, like that, you had no are fear. You, are you saying that their mothers and grandmothers forbid them to speak up or to look somebody in the face that was white or just in general? In general, to look them in the face. Don't don't talk back to me like that. I'm your mama. I'm, I'm grown. You're the baby. And they intimidated the kids. And as a result of that, they're not able to look up not only their mothers and grandmothers, but no one because they have fear. Yeah, but I mean, I know parents today who who don't uh, who tell their kids, hey, you don't backtalk me. Right. You don't sass me. And those people right? are evil. But, but, they don't, but, they, but they'll look you in the face. But they're destroying they're, they're their children, else. though. They're destroying them by doing that to them. Because everything starts in the home. And if our parents are perfect, meaning that they have perfect love, they're of God, they wouldn't intimidate the children like that and then blame so did, it on somebody else. Did you so then as as a as a as a full grown man in Alabama, did you resent some white young white boy calling you boy? They never called me boy. Did they I, call I, you I, sir? I never had a white person I remember I never had a white person in Alabama call me boy or sir. They called me Jesse, no matter what I was. Or or if I was out and about, like downtown somewhere, they would Mm -hmm. say, sir, may I help you? Or sir, this. Like I would do, or anyone do now when they go into a business. But I would never call Boyd. I would never call the N-word. Except one time in Chicago, I was walking downtown Chicago, me and a bunch of guys, and some white guys drove by. And they're like, N-word. But we just thought that was funny. It wasn't personal because it was on them and not us. Mm-hmm. We were raised that way. So what did you think of the Emmett Till situation? It, 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 in all honesty, I don't have a real opinion about it because we don't really know the true story behind the whole thing. And so I can't form a, a decision about it because I know that angry people lie and they will not give you the whole story. They'll give you a one-sided story to fit their narrative, to make you agree with them. Even if they lied or told the truth, do you think a 13-year-old boy deserved what he got? Well, I neither think that he deserved it or not because I don't know the real deal about it. And I know that these blacks that are making this stuff, putting this stuff out there, they hate. They have hatred in their heart. They have no love. And so they're not telling you the whole true story about it. So I don't, I don't know the right or wrong or deserve okay, or not okay. deserve. All right. So, so allegedly he whistled at a white woman in a store. Right. Okay. So let's say he didn't whistle at the white woman. Let's say he did whistle at her, whatever the case may be. Did he deserve what he got, whether he whistled at her or whether it was made up? I honestly don't know because if I agree with you on that either way, then I'm still doing an if, what if, what if. We got to... Well, either, either he whistled at her or he didn't whistle at her. Right. But one thing but one thing is factual is that he was murdered. He was tortured and murdered. You saw him in the casket. So that's fact. Whether he whistled or didn't whistle, we don't know. Right. Okay? So, uh, so we'll stipulate that. But does it matter if he whistled or didn't whistle? Did he deserve to be murdered in that in that fashion? I really don't know. I just, I can't answer. I would, in, the, in my fallen state, I, w- I would want to give you an answer just to look good or feel good or say something that I know most people would say. 
but I really just don't know. And I can accept that I don't know. Okay, okay, so okay, so you don't know, but what what would he what what would you say a thirteen year old uh let's let's take Emmett Till out of the picture. What would a thirteen year old have to do that would justify being being murdered in that regard? What what, what would make you say, Yeah, I would support that. If he did this, yeah, he got what he deserved. What would I, what would I that what would this I, be? Yeah, I can't think of anything though. I know that in today's America, 13-year-old, 12-year-old, 10-year-old are robbing and stealing and killing and shooting and carrying on. And I know that that's not good, but I also know that they come from the home. They have anger, and that anger started in the home first. They become like their mothers, and they're angry. And, and so the anger and the violence that you see in them out on the streets, it started in the home. They didn't just make it up one day. Okay, so 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 let's let's say you're right. Um, would that same theory apply to somebody like Dylan Roof, who went into that black church in South Carolina and murdered those nine people doing Bible study? Would it apply to the to the shooter in the Buffalo grocery store? It, it applies, yes, because the anger of Dylan Roof started in the home first, and then when he went out into the world, he saw what he perceived to be injustice. And then that anger that was already there caused him to carry out that act. Okay, because so if he didn't have that anger, no matter what the situation was, he would not have carried out that act. Okay, so Dylan Roof is a, is a, is a young white man raised in, in, in a white home. You said he went out into the world. The world is full of people of every different color. Right. Okay, but he didn't go out into the world he went to a small portion of the world, which was a singular black church with all black people in there, worshiping Jesus Christ, studying the Bible, they were in Bible study, and he murdered nine of them. So because he wasn't his, shooting anybody and everybody. Because, because of his anger that started in the home first, because but, when but the what, fathers what, don't protect what, what the children... Let him what what anger led him to target black people instead of targeting anybody and everybody? I'm angry. I'm going to shoot anybody that crosses my path. I don't care if they're red, yellow, green, blue, or purple. Right. That's anger. Because but, but his, his not, anger was targeted towards a certain group. Not justifying on what him not justifying what he did, but because I know a little bit about the story. Mm-hmm. White people are under attack, especially white men in this country, and they're being blamed for everything. And according to the story, when Dylan saw that. He became enraged by that because prior to that, he got along with blacks and everybody, according to what he called get along. But when he realized that whites were being attacked unjustly, he became enraged. Who was already there because it started in the home. All children who are born through the mother have to overcome anger. And so, okay. that, so came, that, means- that came out because it was already there. He had not dealt with it. And so the situations out in the world brought something out of him that was already there. And it wasn't the black people's fault that he had that anger. It was his parents' fault because they never, the father didn't protect him from the mothers and they never apologized. So he never got over that anger. And situations in the world brought something out that was already there. Okay, but that, that leads to leads two questions. One, was he justified in his anger? No, no one is justified in anger because there's never 
ever, he justified in ever a reason to be angry. Okay, so was he justified murdering those nine people? No. Okay, so um, why then were the two men, you, you can't tell me that they were not justified or were justified in murdering Emmett Till. They were angry. If you look at his body, how, how tortured it was, that wasn't just a shooting in the head and be done. They beat him, ripped him up, and, and did all kinds of things to him, and then they took his life. They well, tortured him. I never said that it would justify. I said I don't know the real story of that because I know that the, the haters of good, uh-huh. they make up stories based on their own dark, okay, so, dark so imagination. Dylan, Dylan but Roof, I happen to Dylan know, like, I happen to be around when the Dylan Roof thing happened, right. and then I was able to get some of the real details from it. But still, uh, Dylan Roof wasn't justified in what he did. He, it was the anger, which is the nature of the devil. And everyone who has anger, mm-hmm. Satan is their daddy. They are not of God if you have anger, right? And right. so he was, because he never dealt with it, he went in and did that. But it wasn't justified that he should do that. Okay, so he's mad because white men are under attack. Is, is there ever a time that black men have been under attack? Um, that's a good question. Well, give me a good answer. <laughs> I don't know of a time when black men have been under attack. So we were not under except attack with the we civil were in rights movement. And except chains. with the civil rights movement, we, we were not under attack when we were uh, in shackles and chains and having to watch our mothers and sisters and wives be raped. Well, I never watched my mother or sister or anyone be raped, and I don't know anyone who has ever seen that. I've only heard stories of that, and that happened like 150-some years ago, right? Uh, even it doesn't longer. matter when it happened. And it's, so, it's, it happened. It's but happened. it didn't happen to you, the— you, you, didn't, you didn't see the Holocaust either, but you know six million Jews were exterminated. But I don't even know that either. I've been hearing about that, but I don't know that just because they said it. It just, like with anything, people make up stories— Based well, on their know, own imagination. Do, do you, so do I don't you know. know that, I don't know. Do you know. Let me just finish you, that. Let me finish I'm this. sorry. Go ahead. I don't know that. And even if it did, it doesn't justify today because when that happened, it happened then. It's not happening now. And all we have is now. The future or the past doesn't exist. When you're in the presence of God, all that exists is right now. And the future and the past is gone. It doesn't exist anywhere but in the imagination, and that's where the devil dwells. Okay. Have you ever met Dylan Roof? No. You ever met his mother? No one connected to him as far as I know. Well, then how, how can I accept that you're telling me that you know Dylan Roof was angry because he got it from his mother and he took it out on the world? Why, why should I believe that? You, you, you don't know Dylan Roof. You don't know his mom. But yet you're giving me a, a theory that you may have heard somewhere. And you should but, not accept it just because I said it. It should just go into one ear and out the other and don't accept it just because I said it, but only when you see it for yourself. Because if you accept it just because I said it, then it's just knowledge and you'll take side with me and it may not be true. You need well, to no, know I, it. I, I didn't you, say you I need to know it reject- for yourself, not just because I or anyone said it. Agreed. I, I understand that. And I'm not accepting it or rejecting it because you said it. Right. I'm just asking. Right. You told me, you know, you didn't know what happened 150 years ago. Right. You didn't know those people. You don't know what happened in 1945. 
with uh, Hitler and and the Jews and so forth and so on because you weren't there. But again, you weren't there in that church when those people got shot up. Because if you were, you probably would not have walked out. You would have been shot too. And you didn't know Dylan Roof and you didn't know his mother. But yet you have an opinion on or or you're stating it as a fact about Dylan Roof and his mother. So I'm just wondering where are you getting that information uh, that when you don't know those people, but yet you don't have any information on, on other people that you don't know that is historic. Because I, yeah, the world that... knows about about six million Jews being exterminated. You can go to the Holocaust Museum and see the well, remains. I neither, I neither doubt about that with the Jewish thing or that with the black thing about slavery. I neither doubt it or accept it. Something happened way back then, but I do know that that has nothing, zero, to do with now. And I do know that when I was growing up on that plantation, under the Jim Crow law, all this slavery mess wasn't the theme of life. You didn't hear about that. It wasn't preached to you. But what was taught to us is to love one another, to treat people the way that we would like to be treated. And it doesn't mean that we thought that everything people did was the right thing. We just didn't resent them for it because we understood that they couldn't help themselves. What, what do you think about child molesters? Same spirit. If they can't help it, they are angry and they are possessed. And in that possession, they listen to the devil because all thoughts are all lies all the time about anything. And so they listen to the devil and the devil create emotions, either so-called good emotion or bad emotion. And those emotions drive people to do the things that they wouldn't ordinarily do if they didn't listen to the devil. So a child molester is no different than a rapist or alcoholic or drug Uh addict. Or anything, because they're all blind and can't see and driven by the devil and don't know it. Okay, they're possessed. So, and that's why Christ right. didn't judge them, because he knew that they were possessed and they were not in control of their own lives. Are you aware of any uh, people who have abused children and it turns out that they were abused themselves as children? Right. They stand angry. That's what drives them, because they never forgave when that happened to them as children. And so Satan drew, grew in their imagination. You know what? I'm enjoying okay. talking to you, but the time is like totally up, okay. man. Can, can I just make one last point? Absolutely. Okay. So you, you, you agree that somebody's childhood, when they were molested as a child, could carry over into their adulthood, and they go out and, and continue that cycle, and they abuse somebody. Right. So you, Okay, so... It, it, a minute ago, you said it doesn't matter what happened in the past. Yes, it does matter what happened in the past. In, in that child molester's past, he or she was abused. If, if you knew that, you could address it then, and that might mitigate what they do in the future. Our past is always a link to our future. Only because no one said to the child when they were molested, no one said, you know what? That was wrong what happened to you, but don't hate. Don't be angry. Don't hate the person that did it to you. And I guarantee you, with all that is within me, had that child not grown up hating the the victimizer, they would never repeat it. But because they resented it and never forgave, they became like what they hate. You become like what you hate. I forgive you, Jesse Lee Peterson. I love you, Jesse Lee Peterson. Right on. So I got to ask, what is love? What is love? Yes. Love is the opposite of hate. Amazing. So I got to put you on the hot seat, and I need you to answer these questions as quickly. I've been on the hot seat for the last hour, man. <laughs> <laughs>
need you to answer these questions for me as quickly as possible. Okay. The hot seat. What is a man? The opposite of a woman. Is America the best country on this side of heaven? No. True or false, white people have white privilege. Yes, true. Is the earth flat or round? It's a bit oval. Did the bear shit in the woods? I wasn't there. Is it wrong for is it wrong for a black man to love the Confederate flag? Love is free and given. I don't love the Confederate flag. I detest it and what it stood for. Do black people be allowed to call each other the N-word? No. Does a chicken have lips? I never kissed one. <laughs> Rap music or country music? Music is music. The, the, the same three chords are played in country as are played in rock and roll. Did Big Mama Michelle music. Obama eat up all the ribs? I never had dinner with her. <laughs> have the uh, have the court system been set up to screw over the fathers? The fathers of the country or the, fa- or, of or the children? It's a court set up to screw the fathers. Um, I think it depends upon the judges and the juries. Did you have fun? I had a ball. I hope you'll have me back. I will, man. It was an amazing, I knew it would be an amazing conversation. Thank you. It was a grown-up conversation. I do appreciate that. My pleasure. Tell Thank the you people, for having me. Tell the people how to get to your website, your work, your documentary, and all that. DarylDavis.com, and Daryl is spelled D-A-R-Y-L. Only one R. I didn't have two R's in my name because my parents were poor. They could not afford the second R. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you. I truly enjoyed talking to you. I will have you back. It was thank an you. amazing conversation. Likewise. And thank you all for tuning in. Don't forget that the Father State is now on Locals.com. Click the link in the descriptions to support our work. And also become a member of the fatherstate.com, all right, on the YouTube channel there to support the work. Thank you so much. Let me hear from you. And thank you, Daryl. Thank you. Amazing. <laughs>